Well, today we are in our book of Romans, and I would really encourage you, I would ask you and beg you to have a copy in front of you because we're going up and down out of this text today. And if you don't have one with you, you can go and download a copy somewhere. You just have it in front of you um, because you will not be able to follow me unless you're able to read it. I'm going to put some stuff on, on the screens today. Uh, unfortunately, it might look a little like microfish to you out there, so you're going to have to live with some of that. But So please do get a copy in front of you. Um, uh, two things that made me think about as we go into today. Um, I'm really thankful. I, I kind of have this, this kind of, it's kind of a love-hate thing right now. So uh, my friend, the Spanzels are here. So you guys know Allie Spanzel. Well, she came from the two Spanzels sitting next to her. <laughs> and um, they have been amazing friends and mentors to Melissa and I for 25 or 6 years now. And um, and so um, Mark was, I worked with Mark. Mark was my boss for years. And uh, Mark is probably one of the most significant shaping influences in my life um, as far as me getting to see what a godly man looks like. So thanks, brother. I love what you taught me about the word, about shepherding, about being a man. So thank you. I love you to death. So, yeah. All right, so there's that. But then you stink because you're rolling her out of town. So today is Allie's last day with us, and we are thankful for you. So, um. We hope that God gives you a well-paid, amazing job back here in town, and that we'd have you back. <laughs> All right. So there's that. Then we get to our text. So you read the text today. Um, read along with us. All right. So I'm just giving parents a warning out there. I don't think we're going to have any warnings of this. Uh, we're going to get down and dirty. Here's, the, here's the, the wonderful deal. We, as God's people, are people of King Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world coming and bringing light to us because by definition we are in darkness and we are darkness we as humans don't understand ourselves don't understand god and don't understand the connection between the two so jesus is constantly illuminating us not only to bring us to life but then to bring us to joy after that forevermore and so we go to his word where he's taught and unfolded these things over over time and over text and so the book of Romans is the book we're in right now, and as we've been going through it, I've been telling you it is heavy-duty stuff. It has some of the most amazing, clear statements of truth that we memorize and stick in our heads. And it also has very vast, mysterious things in it, and some things that might be so mysterious that I have to like postpone sermons and stuff like that because I can't figure it out. And then there's stuff that will grate right against us in our culture. And today's passage very well may have that for you today. So as you're reading that, probably number one, you're thinking, like, I hope I never have to talk about this in front of people. But here's the deal. Jesus is good to talk about in front of people. Um, if you, my friends, or if our culture was the judge and was the audience, today's passage might be bad. It's probably emotionalism for us when we come to the topics of sexuality and all these kind of things that make us kind of shudder. But the truth is, God is the great audience of us. And we go to him for source, and we come back to him in response. And so we are in this text today. It's a good text. It's a complex text. And so I'm going to pray that God will help me as I present it. I'm going to pray that God will help us all as we listen to it. Father, we come to you, and we rest fully in the work of Jesus. We rest in his life for us. We rest in his death for us. We rest in his resurrection for us. Christ is our hope and our identity and we come to you for truth and teaching and understanding that we need. We need your mind because in our darkness, Lord, our, our minds have become darkened. So I pray that you'd help us. And I pray for me, Father, that you would guide me and help me as I present this, that I would be clear and that you'd protect me from overstatement and understatement and error and fear and confusion and all of that. Lord, that I might just be an instrument of yours presenting your word. And then, Lord, equally I ask for all of us as we listen that your spirit would be in us and that you would quicken our hearts to listen. Father, don't let us be the people who follow you around physically, eating your bread, eating your fish, watching miracles, being amazed, loving it all, but not really listening to what you say and not really looking at the difference between what you say and what is in our hearts and what we think and what we hold and what we value. So please help us by your spirit, myself included, to sit under Jesus, under your word today, in Christ's name, amen. So, as we go into our text today, um, I want to really, like I say, encourage you to make sure you have your Bible, and um, uh, we're going to start back a little bit in the text. Um, our, our text today is, um, 
It's pretty amazing. I'm going to start in 16. In verse 16, we covered this a couple weeks ago, is this amazing statement of Scripture that something is revealed. The gospel comes to us. In the gospel, the righteousness of Jesus is revealed. So in chapter 1, verse 16 to 17, says this. So I'm telling you, if you don't have it on your, if you don't have it on your phone, if you don't have it on your iPad or your hands, just lean vigorously over next to the person next to you uh, or let us equip you to get this so you can read, okay? The good news is now revealed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And the reason that's good news is because, because newly on the scene, the righteousness of God available to us was now revealed and known, because it wasn't. And we needed that revealed because something else had already been revealed. The bad news was revealed long ago, verses 18 to 20, because the wrath of God had already been revealed to us clearly, and we all chose to remain in a treacherous suppression of truth. Ch- uh, verse 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed, and it had been revealed, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their, um, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. And then the text goes on to, and I, just want, I think this is helpful, because if you, read, if you read Romans 1, for me, it becomes a little bit muddled. There's just a lot of words in there. Okay, so I'm trying to break this out so as you think about it. So number one, the gospel is revealed. Number two, the gospel, we're excited because the gospel is revealed because the wrath of God was already revealed. And then this final part, 21 to 32, is the justification, the explanation of how God's wrath has worked. Okay, so it's trying to fleshing it out. And that's where we're going to be. We hit a few of those verses last week, but here we go. For although, here's the reason. For although they knew God, knowing God, they did not honor him as God. Literally, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And that then brings us to our passage today. And he already read it, so I don't want to read through it yet uh, again in that way. But I want to put something up on, on, the, on the screen here. And um, <laughs> it may not work for you because you may not be able to see it. Uh, but as I, as I was working hard to, to explain this, to understand and explain it, I think visibly it might be most helpful. So you're going to have to do a combination of maybe something you can't see clearly and what's in your hand in your scriptures, okay? So prepare yourself. Can you see that? All right. So um, I'm, try- I'm not going to be trying to be cute with this, but I am going to underline a couple things to help you see what's, what's happening here in this text. The first piece is, it's the essence of what we've done, okay? There's a couple of things that happen here. Um, they did not honor him as God, up here in verse 21. And then again, uh, down in verse 28, they did not see to acknowledge God, Okay? Those are the two things, and they're really the same. God is clearly there. He is evident. And they didn't honor him. They didn't thank him. They didn't acknowledge him. I'm sorry, man. My drawing is bad. My kids are laughing at me. Okay, let's just deal with that. I got a, I got a shaky hand, okay? Man, you guys are brutal over there. Thanks. So this is the name, that's the first thing we, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to laugh. Okay, every time we draw, it's just going to happen. I'm drawing, and then I'll get off the slide, all right? So the first thing, number one, we've done is that we did not honor, literally glorify God, or give thanks to him, and number two, we didn't acknowledge him. And that then brought God to three responses. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Doggone it, my glasses. Where'd they go? Thanks. Thanks, Dan, on the back of the porch there. It's just terrible getting old. I think I have everything. I can't draw a straight line, and my eyes are falling out of my head. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. All right. So three things that happen here. 
that God gave them up. Here's the three responses of God. God gave them up to dishonorable passions, right? God gave them up to debased mind. And then God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. So three things that God gives them up for. And I just want to show it visibly because I think it might make sense. Again and again, it's referring to that we have known who God is there and we're not responding to him properly in glorification and thanking him and acknowledging him. And that then moves God as part of, remember, because God's wrath is revealed. So how is God's wrath revealed? God has revealed that wrath by then giving us up over into something, releasing us into something we already had. And the first one is, in verse 24, um, into, into the lusts of their hearts. In verse 26, into dishonorable passions. And in verse 28, into a debased mind. And all those kind of things come from this, this area right up here. Okay, these are the things that God gave us. So he, our, our minds became darkened, our hearts were darkened, our minds became futile. And so then, because we did not acknowledge God, did not thank him, did not glorify him, he released us into these things, into our, so the word there, lust, is, passion, is, is strong desires, passionate desires, into our detestable passions, and into our futile minds. And because he then did that, that then had fruit in our lives. The fruit is found, and these are the, the main three parts we're going to go through the text today, is once he gave us up into the lust of our hearts, we became people who um, dishonored our bodies amongst ourselves. We became people who received the error of our ways within ourselves. And then we became people who exhibited all of these pieces of darkened thinking. All right. So I'm going to move on past the slide because you all love me and my kids are going to need me to have that off my, my iPad. Just a little bit of breakdown of where the argument's at. And out of that, we're going to come to the three ways that it happens. So I want to break that out, but I want you to see where it's at because at the end of it, if you guys follow the text, the end of the text has this amazing statement in verse 32. That though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. They not only do them but give approval to those who who practice them. There are 24 demonstrations of wrath in this text. 24 of them, if you list them. All the different ways that what happens comes out of us when, our, on our, when our, we're given into our lust, into our passionate desires, into the debasedness of our mind. 24 of them there. And at the end of that 24, he says, and them, knowing the, the just the just punishment of these things, not only continue to do them, but give hearty approval to those who do them. I remember reading this for the first time as um, a person in college. And um, I think that even then, things that were striking to me were was the breadth of the things mentioned, things of intense sexual sin, down to some pretty shocking pieces that show up in the third category that seem trivial to me. But then that final statement, not only the ones that do it, but the ones who clap for those who do it, the ones that approve of those who do such things. And so this morning, um, I guess I want to invite your mind to the, to, to the idea of what do you do with these 24 things? There's going to be sensitivity. I'm going to have to use sensitivity in this because in our passage today, one of the 24 elements of God's wrath on humanity happens to be something cherished in our society. The rest of the 23 are largely not. Right? We don't have groups that are really celebrating maliciousness. Um, hey, no, no, don't touch me. I'm a malicious person, and I deserve rights. All the rest of them aren't really social identifications, but one of them would be in our culture. Maybe the first. So if the, if the first category is general sexual impurity, the second is homosexual se sexual purity, and the third is general debaseness of mind, maybe the first category might have some of that in our culture, but not really. So we're here on High Street. If you go down about three blocks, there's House of Babes. It's a strip house, right? Um, and you probably won't find groups identifying with, uh, with the whole culture of like, yes, we are voyeurs. Voyeur Pride Month. And if you go 500 yards to the front of our building, maybe 700, there is an unmarked swingers club that fills up twice a week at night. So if you drive by, you'll see tons of cars out there. And likewise, in our culture, though it's accepted in some ways, it's not proudly held. 
So really, in this text here, there's probably only one of these 24 that's actually proudly held in our culture as a noble and good and darling part of the culture. So I want to have sensitivity to it for three reasons. Um, in the room here, there are people that don't know Jesus, and we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know Jesus has truth. Jesus has life. Run to him. Trust him of all things. That is what we have done and what we continue to be doing. But some of us here have recently come to know Jesus. We've just recently come into the light, and there's so much darkness in our thinking that is yet to be uncovered. So we're in the process of discovery. We just don't know what God thinks about things, so we're going to learn. Today you'll learn. It's pretty clear. Then, number two, some of us are honestly more swayed, though we are in darkness or fancy ourselves to be in darkness, we are more actually swayed by darkness than light we still are under the impression that darkness is actually good and neutral. What is darkness? We think is good and neutral and noble. And the effects of people around us are really weigh upon us, and we are really moved by that. So that actually might be part of some of our thinking, is that we find darkness actually to be light to us when it should be seen as darkness. And the third is, we, in this time and age, like all time and ages, have people who do not believe Jesus Christ, who are scholars in the scriptures, who are constantly writing and bringing new arguments into the scriptures to always bring darkness into the light of the scriptures. So they will often use new things, but they'll often use lazy, cheap, short teaching within the church to do it, right? So we as a culture become really lazy. Uh, we often move from convictions to opinions, and so when we talk about education or church, we're always encouraging you, like, hey, let's come back to the scriptures. Let's study. What do, what do you think about this topic? And you might tell us that topic, and that may be maybe a conviction because you studied it and you can kind of point to it in the scripture or vaguely point to the scripture. Or it might have decomposed into just simply an opinion. You no longer have scriptural founding underneath it. It's just something you hold. We want to be people of conviction, not people of opinion. And because we as the church, and I mean the church way beyond Cross City, often lazily are just people of opinion, sometimes never having studied at all, we present things as truth not because we've read them, but because we like them. And so therefore we use cheap arguments and lame teaching and absence of text and understanding we're not authentic with the things said. And so that creates opportunity for wolves biblical scholars, cultural scholars, to bring those elements of darkness into the light of the text and make arguments and to destabilize God's people. So there's different reasons we want to, we, we face that there may be like differences of thought in the room. I want to be sensitive to that, but I want to be clear with God's word. And so I would encourage you to be bold with me and look through God's word. And number two, um, let's talk. Some of these things are really hard. Like when you've grown up thinking something is good, and you might, have, um, you might have a number of things in the text. I don't know, that you might think, or I've always thought those were good. Being, um, being merciless, I've always thought that was good. Being disobedient to parents, maybe you just watch too many Disney movies all the time, and you're just thinking, like, I've been told to follow my heart and to be my own little woman, and God says, be, don't be disobedient to parents. You're like, hey, that doesn't jive with what I've always thought. So if it's any of these, but especially if it comes to the issue of sexuality, either homosexuality, heterosexuality, whatever it is, um, hey, let's talk. Let's talk. We don't want to beat you into a position. We our hope is that you will stand before Jesus, look to Jesus and say, I trust you and I want to come back to your heart. Mind. I want to be illuminated by you. I want to follow your heart. And so that's what we want. We don't want, we don't covet your position. We don't covet your quietness. We don't covet those things. We want you to stand with Jesus and to follow Jesus genuinely, truly, as Jesus has exhibited himself in the text. So let's go to the first piece of our, of our text today. This is verse 24 to 25. God gave us over into desires of our hearts. So let me use the word us, and let me explain us for a second. I'm going to say us, probably more than I want to say us, us comes in this. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God was already revealed on us. On Scott Burns and on you and everyone you know, it was on us. So this text is about how the wrath of God was revealed on us as all of humanity. You will not probably find all 24 of these things expressed in your heart, but you will find it expressed in your humanity. 
But now there's also a not us. And this is where you probably have to listen to the discerning ear, and hopefully I will be discerning as I speak. I was a child of wrath. You were a child of wrath if you were God's child, but you're no longer a child of wrath. You may wrestle with these things still as God's child, but you're not under his wrath. So this is an explanation of God's wrath on us as people when we were unforgiven. People that didn't know Jesus, all right? I'll talk about it in a second for those who do know Jesus and how we think that through. All right, so here we go. Verse 24 and verse 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust, the strong desires of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And the cause of this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So we're returning again back to that main point, ignoring God. Not seeing God and glorifying God, but ignoring God. So this is the reason for it and what he's done. He gave them up, so turn us over into the lust, the strong desires. That word there itself is neither good nor bad. It's actually the same word that Jesus talks about when he serves communion for the, for the first time. Ignatius, he goes, I've, I've, he goes, I've lusted, I've lusted for this. He wasn't sinning. He said, I passionately desired this moment. So he gives them up into the lust of their hearts to impurity. So the term there for impurity is usually referred to as sexual impurity, sexual morality. Anything, any expressing, any hold, heart holding or any bodily expression of sex outside of a true marriage, a marriage between a male and a female in lifelong union under God in marriage, or abstinence in chastity. Option A, option B in God's plan, right? It is sex is something beautiful and wonderful, something to be enjoyed and worshipped with inside of a true marriage or to stay chaste and pure outside of marriage. That is, number one, his design. And anything outside of that is, by scriptural definition, sexual impurity. Um, here's, here's a few texts kind of clustering these together. I don't have it up here. You can just hear this. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 21. He says, I, Paul says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented from the impurity, the sexual morality, the sensuality that they have practiced. Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh which are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles, so not, not handling our bodies through the lens of our internal desires, like the Gentiles, who this way, because the Lord is an avenger of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And my experience is when it comes to the issues of sexual impurity by themselves, heterosexual sexual impurity, they usually are only debatable by Christians when they're involved in it. When they're not involved in it, it's really clear. But once they're involved in it, they're like, well, I don't know, let's try to find, you know, like we come in these deep discussions. But I also bring this up too, because it's number one, it's in the text, that sexual impurity is something that is God's wrath and grieves God's heart and puts us under further condemnation. But I also bring it up because there are expressions of this that we may not think as normative. In Hebrews 13.4, it says, Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So let the marriage bed be undefiled. It may, it may not strike your mind at first, but here's a few ways that I am in active conversations with about the defilement of the marriage bed in a, in a non-homosexual way, in a heterosexual way, right? Um, I have conversations with people um, about adding partners into their sexual relationship. Um, I have conversations with people um, about swinging, uh, consensual violence, pain, or dominance, i.e. Fifty Shades of Grey stuff. That's dishonoring the marriage bed. It is bringing influences into what God has designed is pure and good and holy in the marriage bed, in sex as God has wonderfully designed it, and we tweak it. 
We tweak it. All of those things are part of impurity in a heterosexual way. So sexual impurity brings a defilement of the body. And that's the argument. When you do these things, it says in that text, it brings about defilement in our bodies. And, hey, we're brothers and sisters. You, a lot of you guys know my story backwards and forwards, and I know a lot of your stories backwards and forwards. And we can testify to this. This isn't Christians saying, hey, well, you people are dirty. No, 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 this is us. We were people born in the darkness. We have tasted these things. We have felt God's wrath on these things. We have felt the effects of heterosexual immorality and impurity in our lives. And the people that have sit around you, if they're honest with you and they understand the gospel, will be honest to the truth of these things. And number two, they'll be honest to the experience of the pain of these things and the freedom found in Jesus. And we're not ashamed of Jesus, our liberator and our redeemer. He came to give mercy because we needed mercy. But this is part of God's wrath on humanity, on us as humans. So sexual impurity brings a defilement of the body. That is God's wrath. Putting unforgiven people under condemnation, testifying to them. And it is a dangerous grief to God by the redeemed. It is a dangerous grief to God by the redeemed. So, if you are a Christian, if you have rested in the work of Jesus, heterosexual, homosexual, any type of sin that comes in the next 22 categories, if you continue in these things, these things in our life grieve God. They're no longer the wrath of God in our life, but they grieve God, and they're dangerous. Why do I say they're dangerous? Because if a person is authentically born again, our sin does not bring God's wrath, but rather truly grieves him. It says we grieve the spirit and, the, and, the, and grieves the one who's loved us together, and it will move him to lovingly bring discipline and effective discipline and pressure upon our life to move our hearts to repentance, to turn away from the things we're starting to think and love the old ways of darkness, and he'll bring that discipline to us. But why do I say it's dangerous? I say it's dangerous grief because if we do not depart from grieving God and continue in it, or to continue to approve of it, as the end verse says, we may discover that we have never been truly born again in the first place. And um, um, I would tell you that I've seen this so many times. Mark Spanzel has seen this so many times. I could point around the room, those of us who've invested our hearts and lives in people, we've seen this so many times. People that claim to know Jesus, people who think they know Jesus, people who have the amazing tear-filled experiences, uh, changes in life, a knowledge of truth, preaching ministries, singing ministries, amazing discipleship, all of a sudden find sin in their life that they become persistently non-repented of. And they hold it. And they hold it. And, number two, we don't see God's discipline in their life. So when you're holding on to sin and we don't see God's discipline in your life and things crumbling around you, this becomes a dangerous thing to you. Cause not because you might lose your salvation, but it might show that everything you had in the first place wasn't salvation at all. Sin held is deadly, deadly dangerous to you. And I don't care if you are not a Christian or if you are a Christian. It is deadly dangerous, a grief to the Lord, and for the person who doesn't know Jesus, a great offense to him. So sexual impurity brings a defilement of the body. That is God's wrath, putting unforgiven people under condemnation and is a dangerous grief to God by the redeemed. But, by the power of the Spirit, God's children find the power to not be ruled by our desires. Because where, where did the sexual impurity come from? It came from being ruled by our desires. We're given over into our desires. And our desires lit on fire. And they went crazy. And we followed our hearts. It's like, a, hmm, it's like what James says. What is, what is sin? It's when our desires spin out of control we follow them right and so instead of us governing our desires we follow those desires and he, so he we're no longer in, in bondage to them we find the power not to be ruled by our desires but to govern our sexual desires by the spirit through true marriage and chastity our second piece is this in verse 26 and 27 for this reason the second piece is this god gave us over into dishonorable passions so i i've, I've chose it to, to title these based upon what God gave us over into, right? So the first one is into the desires of our hearts. Number two, gave us over into dishonorable passions. Verse 26 and 27, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Different word there, not the same thing as lust above. 
desires above. For their women exchange the natural relations. Really, the word there is designs and use. So this is, a, this is not a relational thing. This is physical design and use is the fair argument here. For those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed, literally engulfed with fire. That's the language there, engulfed with fire. With passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So they're given here not over to desire, but to dishonorable passions. So the things burning inside of them are different than things that were happening inside of them a few verses earlier. A few verses earlier were um, an amoral issue. They were desires, strong desires. This one here, the desires themselves are not good. Desires are not good. Um, this describes lesbianism in verse 26 and male homosexuality in verse 27. For both men and women, it is contrary to nature in verse 26 and 27. So both are addressed, both are stated to be contrary to nature. It's considered an exchange away from that which is good in verse 26. In verse 27, it's described as being overtaken and consumed, engulfed in flame. That's not good. Um, in verse, 20, in verse 27, we also have this, that it's one another. So when I say, when I mention some of the reasons why this is hard to think through because of like unbelieving uh, biblical scholars bringing things in. So some of the arguments being brought in the topic of homosexuality is that it wasn't really consensual um, peers engaged in relationship and sex. It was actually predatory, maybe rape, maybe pediatry, those kind of things. But if you'll notice in the text what it says here, it was for one another. One another. It's the same words used for all the one another language in the New Testament, right? It's parallel. It's peer. It's not going after kids or boys, and it's not going in a predatory way. This is actually just truly pure lateral pursuit. Verse 27, the act is labeled as, if you can read it there, committing shameless or shameful acts. So what's being done is shameful, shameless. And finally, it is penalty deserving, verse 27 last part receiving themselves the just penalty what i'm saying is um for whatever reason when it comes to issues of homosexuality in in the church wide for whatever reason we tend the church tends to run back to leviticus because they like how clean something is said back there for other reasons as a whole we shouldn't be going back to the old testament to find our obedience cues back there as we talk to the world as we talk to each other we are new covenant people we find our marching instructions from jesus through his spirit as he inspired the New Testament and leads us thereby. And there's tons said about it in the New Testament. We don't need to go back to Leviticus. We shouldn't be there, number one. Jesus tells us not to go back there and pick up our obedience cues. And number two, it's really confusing to everyone else and to your kids by us going back there. We have these very, very clear, abundantly clear statements in the New Testament that homosexuality is not something that is in God's heart. It's not something that is just another way, just another predisposition of our hearts, but it's something God has no tolerance for. I'll just read a couple passages of the New Testament. Jude chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, same words, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. 1 Timothy 1, 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, third place. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. So what, what I'm saying, and what I'm slowing down a little bit on this, is because this topic is really under attack in the church as a whole. And the statements are very clear about the nature of it, what it is and what it isn't. Second of all, it's bundled. So in these, in these texts here, it's bundled just like it's bundled in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, these list of 24 things are on a shopping list where you can go, ah, that's good, it's bad, that's good, it's bad. They are all things that grieve God's heart. They are all actually expressions of God's wrath seen abundantly in humanity for all of our eyes to pick up and to understand that things are not right between us and him. 
longing for the revelation somehow to find our way to righteousness, which then God shows in the gospel of Jesus. So it's bundled. And I think 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is just so powerful. Do not be deceived. Neither sexual nor moral, that's our first category. Number two, homosexuality, second category. And number three, all the rest. If we engage these things and stay in these things, we do not inherit the kingdom of God. And probably, um, and what's interesting is when you're reading through scripture, even in Revelation, like lately I've been reading a lot of Revelation in the end, just trying to set my mind on future things. When, when rebellion against God is demonstrated in the book of Revelations, it is demonstrated in two categories. Number one, sexual morality. All things askew with sex apart from God's design, and then a bunch of other sins. It's almost always coupled in that way. Sexuality becomes a leading expression of rebellion against God, whatever the flavor of it is, whether it's heterosexuality or homosexuality or any other type of sexuality, it becomes a leading element and demonstration of rebellion against the Lord and is very meaningful to the Lord. Um, and what makes it hard for us in our culture is that probably the issue of homosexuality is one of the only ones where the, where the disposition of the heart and the action of the body actually has become its own culture. The only ones that I could think of that were remotely similar are maybe some overt forms of racism, right, where you're, you're racist, you're proud to be racist, and you want to gather around, and you want identity and protection and power through that. Or, or maybe um, gang cultures in some of your urban areas, there's, there's an identification. What actually identifies you is this action. There aren't very many of those in our culture where an action identifies you and clumps you and puts you into a category whereby you find unique like protection and empowerment and darling status. So for us in our culture right now, one of those is the LGBTQIA, and I found this week, 2S plus movement. It's a raft of acronyms that in our culture groups of people are coming on and it's an exclusive authoritative raft right where you want on that raft because if your acronym gets put on that raft you acquire power and protection and status but that raft doesn't want other acronyms on the raft so for instance um, pediastry right pedophilia zoophilia there's a whole bunch of philias out there that everyone's like oh no that's bad everyone on our raft good special superior off the raft is bad. You can't get it in our raft, but everyone off the raft wants on the raft, and so there's a fight for how long the raft name will be, right? How long will that plus sign be, and who doesn't get involved in that plus sign? It's relative darkness. It's relative darkness speaking in authoritative terms, and if we're not careful, since we came out of darkness, those sources of darkness informing our sense of right and wrong, which is solely Jesus's to define right and wrong, start to shape our thinking. Our audience tends to be people and culture and social media and how we're treated and the sources of truth instead of being the light of Christ coming through, finding this in the scriptures, searching it and studying ourselves. It becomes the influence of these things and the influence of this very, very religious, very authoritarian cultural basis that comes in and tries to inform our mind. And it makes it hard for us to think. So our second piece is this. Homosexuality is the product of our dishonorable passions, putting unforgiven people further under the condemnation and is a dangerous grief to God by the redeemed. And while by the power of the Spirit, God's children have new power now to govern the desires of, found in verse 24. So we as believers now by the Spirit have the ability to govern the desires in 24, right? Those are just desires. It's different here. Now, through the Spirit, here in verse 26, we have a power to deal with these passions differently. They are dishonoring passions to be fled from altogether. Jesus, by his spirit, empowers us to do that. Our third piece is this. God then gives us over into sins of a debased mind. He then gives us over into sins of a debased mind. Uh, look at verses 28 to 23. There's 22 of them. I don't have to be too sensitive here. Right? I mean, I'm, pro I'm probably going to hit you and me in the passage where we came from. But I don't have to be so sensitive, so I'm going to move through it. It's pretty self-evident. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that's our main problem again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, 
insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Okay, so as I'm reading this as a young man, like it starts up pretty high. I'm like, I know it's a sin, I know it's a sin. And then all of a sudden we shift down to these bottom ones here. And I remember the first time I got it. These bottom ones here are sweeping everyone else. I mean, look at these things. They're brutal. And, and, you can, and it's, uh, in the original language, it, it kind of rhymes and it has a jingle. And there's all these not this, not that. So I've, I kind of changed a couple words to kind of reflect that. If you're reading ESV, it says foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. But probably more in tune with where it's written is understanding less, faith less, heart less, and mercy less. So to not be a person extending heart, to be a person not extending mercy, to be a person not understanding, choosing to stay in foolishness, to be a person choosing to not um, be faithful, which I'm guilty of all of those things. I mean, if I wasn't hit in the top list, and I am hit in the top list, lots, these are just life pervasive. I mean, our failures, everyone around us, humanity is awash with the wrath of God, and we all know it. That's why we have the news channel. We all know it. So, just an amazing, but not exhaustive list, but it shows the breadth of all of these things. We see that the mess that the world is in, the mess that we, as believers, were in until God graciously rescued us, and the mess that our friends and family are still in, and it offends and displeases God, And it is God himself, it is the result of God himself giving us over into our independence, thoughts, and desires, and passions. Because we all as humans left one core tenet. That God is there and that he is glorious and it is good to be under him. That's what we left. That's where all this stuff flows out of. The problem with humanity isn't that we've done these things. The problem with humanity is that we've left him. That's why we talk about this concept of repentance in the gospel. What is the gospel coming to someone? It is, it is leaving the world of independence from God to dependence upon God. It's not the world of like, quit doing some naughty things, start doing some good things. It is leaving Godlessness to be with God, to have God himself, to have a relationship, to love him, know him, treasure him, to grow in progress and enjoy. So by the power of the Spirit of God, God's children find the power to not be ruled by a debased mind. So the first one, they're given over into lust. The second one, over to deplorable passions. The third one is they're given over to a debased mind. Three different things in the text that yield different pieces. The third one is actually this, the way we think, right? One is these urges and desires, the first two. The last one is the way we think because sin has cursed the world and it's got in your gray matter. It doesn't work that good. And then it decomposes over time. You're stained by sin. The noetic effects of sin affect even the way we think. And so we have a debased mind. These things pour out of it. But the answer is that Christ gives us this, is that it renews our mind for us as believers. Ephesians 4 says this, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, Colossians 3. And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed after knowledge of the image of its creator. And so though in the fall we have debased minds, now God through his spirit, for those of us that are forgiven, he now enables us, brings us to not only born-again minds, but minds that are made new and renewed by looking at Jesus, by reading his text, not just by existing, coming back to him and getting the real mind as we look at the real mind of Jesus. So as we finish out our text this morning, um, I have three things to encourage your thoughts towards. Number one, pick a side. Pick a side. The end of our text says not only those who do those things, but those who approve of those who do those things. What you do, if you do it or if you approve of it, it's one and the same. You got a lot of friends. I'm just going to talk to the believers here today on this point. Um, You got a lot of friends that do a lot of different things. You do a lot of different things. To not do something but to approve of it and take pride in it is to sit on the opposite side of the line that Christ has drawn. This is Christ drawing the line. This is Christ showing us light and dark. We live in a world, actively, where you're tempted to do these things, and culturally, you're asked and expected to bow to the pride of these things. We have a whole Pride Month dedicated to homosexuality. 
which our, our culture loves and adores. But Jesus says, if you do it or you approve of those who do it, you are on the dark side of that line. I would encourage you today, figure out what Christ thinks and what side of that line will you stand on. Will you stand with Christ or you stand with not Christ? Culture, another religion, where will you stand? So pick a line, number one. Number two, feel free to use the leverage. This is what God is saying about the heart of your friends and family and neighbors. Lean into it. Like, he is demonstrating that he is there. He is demonstrating that, that he is worthy of praise. He's demonstrating through wrath. They've experienced wrath in their life. They've experienced the brokenness. Lean into it. Lean into the fact that they do truly know that he's there at some degree or measure. Lean into it. Reference it. Point out to it. Or you can believe them and what they say about themselves and the world. Instead, follow Christ. Lean into the leverage he's given us. Third one is this. It's grace and truth versus bigotry and cruelty. Grace and truth versus bigotry and cruelty. Being mean or despising any person disposed to or living in sin. So I'm, I, I wrote this out and checked it a couple of times. Follow me where I'm saying. Being mean or despising any person disposed to or living in sin is bigotry. Being mean to them or despising them because they are consumed in sin or living in sin is bigotry. It is itself multiple violations of the 24 other, 22 or 3 other things mentioned in this text, such as being heartless and being merciless. It is an act of suppression of the truth. If you are mean or despising people who are embracing or struggling with any of these sins, heterosexual, homosexual, mercilessness, disobedience to parents, if it causes you to look down on them or be mean to them, that is bigotry. That is bigotry. And conversely, and it is actively suppression of the truth. What happened at the very top of the text? You're hiding the truth of the gospel. God, Christ came to save and liberate sinners. Instead, you're saying, eh, except for you. And number two, conversely, the approval or celebration of the disposition or living in any of these sins. So the approval or celebration of the disposition or living in any of these sins is deceit and it is cruelty it is not kind it is cruelty and it itself is multiple violations of these 24 things it is deceitful and it is insolence it's listed in the text so if you are mean or cruel if you are mean or degrading of people holding or wrestling with these things that is bigotry and that is sin and that is suppressing the truth and if instead you're tempted to be approving of and applauding and condoning these things, that, my friends, is cruelty and it's deceit. And it is also doing these things that God has called the wrath of God in this chapter. There's a difference between us saying, this is Christ. This is who we wrestle with. Uh, this is what we wrestle, wrestle with as humanity. This is the, the salvation, the grace being offered to us. And Christ calls us lovingly out of darkness into marvelous light. And he dies for us because we can't self-liberate. But the sins that he calls us out of are sins. And he never plays around with that. And he never, he never changes the list up. They are sin. And sin must be defined and held in our heart as sin and not applauded and not celebrated. And to do opposite of that would be cruelty. And so, brothers and sisters, I finish with this. We are people who live in the good news of Jesus Christ. The news in the end isn't that the wrath of God has been revealed. The sweet news in the end is that the righteousness of God has been revealed. And it's available to you and to your grandma and to every friend you have, no matter what they struggle with sexually, no matter what they do, being merciful, disobedient to parent, merciless, and all these things, God-hating. The mercy of God is extended to all. If they will betray the darkness, repenting and turning to Jesus. If you will repent, mercy is extended towards you. The work of Jesus is extended to you. He will pay for all of your sin. You will move from being a child of wrath to a loved child of God. Here's a beautiful text. You can just listen to this. This is out of Ephesians 2. And you, <laughs> me, if you're a child of God, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of dis disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Is there an amen on that? We all lived 
and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Man, don't you hear this language we just read? Passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath. That's who we were. We were under the wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the gospel count for us as believers. And if you don't know Jesus, um, that's for you. You can have it. All you have to do is trust him. Quit shaking your fist at him. Quit telling him what's up. Quit calling darkness light. Quit trusting your own ways. Quit trusting in Twitter and whatever crap you're listening to all the time. And look to him. Read him. Take your time. We don't want to rush you. But he's saying this stuff clearly. You're reading it clearly, hopefully, or here and there. Like, this is who Christ is. And he calls us out of darkness into marvelous light. So put your heart in him. Trust him. And brothers and sisters, don't go back to darkness. Don't go back to darkness. Remember that we were children of wrath. Remember, we have now been given mercy and grace and love in Jesus. Move from children of wrath to children of God, sitting under the pleasure and the the joy and the protection and the adoration and the forgiveness and the enabling work of the Spirit in our lives to fight against the stuff that you'll still see rising in your heart. You will. We'll help you with that if you'll help me with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for clarity. Thank you for grace. Thank you for how good you are to us all the time. Uh, Lord, for those in the room who don't know you, please give them the eyes to see and the ears to hear the glorious, authoritative call of Jesus into the dark, summoning their hearts to the light and life and thriving and joy and acceptance and no longer denying you and no longer not glorifying you and thanking you, but now in this new relationship where they do glorify you and do thank you and do acknowledge you. So please move in their hearts. Uh, for the believers in the room, Lord, let us be moved by your spirit to be aware of the people around us that we know, our friends and family who are not here, who don't hear this. Give us grace to know how we might go to them. Bring to our hearts and our minds, even right now, the people that so badly are feeling the wrath of you, who are feeling it, they know it's darkness and it's displeasurable. Give them grace, Father. Give them grace to, to go out and to ask for opportunities to speak and to speak the truth, the truth of a righteousness of Jesus revealed that is life-giving because wrath was already revealed. And Lord, for us in the room that know you, please refine our minds, Lord. Please let us be on guard for the upspringing wells of darkness in our hearts and our minds that spew lies and counter-truths and new ethics into our hearts and our minds that affect us so much, and affect our kids so much. And let us be on guard for that, looking for you in the truth, resting in you, adopting your ethic as the true and good king. We love you and pray you bless us today further with the work of your spirit as we rejoice in you in these songs. In Christ's name we pray, amen.